I'm I'm a person who who believes that the digital assets that we own are, are going to be more valuable than and the real assets we're going to own because everything is imaginary anyways, right? So so digital assets are going to be really powerful. Welcome to Opolis Public Radio, where we dig into how a rapidly changing world is impacting our lives and what we can do about it, with a focus on freelancing, finances, and the future of work. On this episode of Opolis Public Radio, we dig into how freelancers are paid, the problem that this poses for the future of finance and the future of employment. And we're going to talk about decentralized finance in general. We're going to get a big update from one of our uh, advisors and and big supporters of the Opolis ecosystem, Vignesh from Lendroid. So welcome to to episode eight of Opolis Public Radio. I am joined in person with Vignesh. Uh, Vignesh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I'm Vignesh and uh, I've been in the space since 2013. I built a company that made Bitcoin ATMs back in 2013. Uh, it's Bitaxis and uh, we went to Y Combinator, all the stuff. This is pre-Ethereum, right? So uh, after that, it's, it's, uh, once Ethereum got launched, I, I got into Ethereum. I've, uh, uh, we've done a few uh, iterations of research on, on, on decentralized uh, finance in general, uh, but we focus on, on the on creating an anti-fragile financial system as a, as a whole. So it's, it's a long process. And uh, uh, I've been, we've been at this project since 2017. And uh, we've missed, I think, just one East Denver in the middle. Yeah, yeah no, I, I remember you, you guys were noticeably absent in 2019, but came back with a yeah. big splash in 2020. We were glad to have you back. Sure, sure. It was yeah, it was it was a good right. time. We we had a little bit of fun little with uh, some <laughs> some tequila at one of the happy hours, and yeah, we had a, we had a good time. So yeah, it's good to see you again, man. Like I mean, with with everything that's been going on with the pandemic, like you know, seeing our friends in the space hasn't happened as much, you know, in person, of course. So it's great to have yeah. you on the show, and we appreciate you taking the time. Any kind of socialization helps right now. Yeah, thanks yeah, of a lot course. for having me. And and thank you for bringing Satoshi over your shoulder there to us. I think that's who you... That's, you know, one of the art I bought at Eat Denver. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that now. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, let's jump into it. So Lendroid has been around for a while. And, um, you know, I remember talking to you guys at the first Eat Denver and really understanding, you know, this decentralized lending. I mean, this you guys were really at the very, very beginning of this because nobody had really been talking about it yet. I mean, this is 2018. And, uh, you know, give us some updates on just Lendroid as a project, your products, like where things are at and um, just the whole landscape generally for you, for Lendroid. Sure. Uh, so, uh uh, we start, uh, I, I think we launched the first white paper uh, around 2000 uh, in August of 2017. So that's that's been three years now. And uh, uh, we also had a prototype back then with ENS name as the collateral, and and you could take a loan out. This is this is still in 2017. So that all started happening, and and the space was just getting started. The name DeFi did not exist back then, right? So it, oh, no. was, it was just lent. Yeah, just lending back then. 
and uh, i think with our first version we we tried a few things out uh, uh in terms of the model of how we can do this and and i think that that's kind of the model that's going on in the whole space right now which which we call the angular model where there is a collateral all loans are over collateralized and uh, if there is a price uh, volatility situation that affects the lender uh, the collateral is going to be liquidated some way right? right it's not a foolproof system uh, a lot of uh, bad things have happened already black swan or or something that that's not so much of a black swan in crypto so um, like we've had projects lose money etc etc now uh what when we started the project we we were we we were the first to put out that model but then mo- we moved away from that model because during our testing we figured out that this this has a lot of risk in the, uh, a lot of tail risk especially so uh, at e denver we rolled out a new idea of of how we could do lending without actually like having this risk not being transferred properly so we created a whole anti fragile system and and that's what we have been testing for a while now and we also like we are excited that we also moved into the nft space and uh, we've been working on it testing some prototypes on how we could use lending there uh, because we also get to work with artists who are real uh, people uh, who are actually making money uh, i was so excited to see some people like because you don't know like we talk about defi all the time i don't know who's using it right like yeah no it's it's and, just it's just crypto nerds and and yep. uh, you know <laughs> you know high frequency arbitrage traders right like yep. <laughs> because i'm like uh, is anyone taking a loan at 10 percentage going to buy or going and buying a house or some more receiving right so mostly it's going to be like people are going to leverage and 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 things like yeah. that so Uh, we found artists to be a very good uh, uh, customer base and 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 people who we can test our new financial concepts on and they are also very open to experiment so we've been like uh, launching a lot of small experiments on that side also yeah it's really interesting i mean it it seems like you know as much as defi the word became a thing it, it seems like in 2019 cuz we were we were mm-hmm. We were, I think, East Denver was one of the first events to really have a DeFi track, right? Like, you know, to really yeah. emphasize sort of what was going on. But it seems like we're still in highly experimentative mode, right? Like, we're, oh, yeah. we're, oh, yeah. we're, we're we haven't really. I mean, as much as we've seen a few projects start to scale, um, we haven't really seen. You know, the vulnerabilities have been accentuated. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the the risks have been accentuated. you know the black swan black thursday for maker was a big one you know like there's just there's been a lot of vulnerabilities exposed i guess through the the process that makes me feel like we're still a little bit off from being sort of mainstream yep. ready yeah now one thing and, that we and, talk- and that's that's the thing right like we've been trying out all of these uh lending models that you you see right now yeah all all kind of follow the same principle behind it right like how do we do lending and and that's the same principle collateralized lending yeah. exactly yeah. so that that's what we have to reimagine and that's what exactly we are doing here from lending yeah yeah so one thing that we talked about at one point that really piqued my curiosity because it was something that was i think maybe kind of obvious to me but you you had kind of really perked up on it you're like wow you know like we really need to get out and and have more types of collateral right where yeah. it's it's not just 
one digital asset underpinning another digital asset. And like, you know, mm. that's really what DeFi does now, right? It, it's mostly, you know, magic internet money on top of internet, magic internet money on top of magic internet money. And we've sort of created in some people's world, sort of a house of cards, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, in, in sort of reimagining DeFi, even though it might be a little early to say that we need to reimagine it, but thinking about the next evolution of it, you know, you mentioned artists and we've talked about um, invoicing, right? Yeah. So invoices as an asset, and this is obviously our, you know, sort of overlap in sort of the world of, of DeFi and sort of the future of this. But talk to me a little bit about what your vision for that would be. So like, you know, taking an invoice is an asset, like something that it's, it's mm. a proof of work essentially. Mm. Yeah. And, and we're going to pump that into the DeFi market. So explain to our listeners, like this idea that we've got and how we might go about executing that. Sure. Sure. I've, I've spent some time thinking about various models. We can, we can do this on, right. And uh, the first thing we come up with is the, is the traditional one. Like, uh, I still remember the company called Kick, Kickpay, which was part of our YC uh, cohort. And they used to do invoice buying, straight plain invoice buying, where if, you, if, you, if you're going to get paid in say, net 30 or net 60, they would just buy, your, buy up your invoice. They buy the for, invoice, for, right? For, At a discount for 3 or 4%. Exactly. Right. Yeah. There, there's, exactly. Another one called, there's another one called Quill, Q-W-I-L, yeah. which is actually um, pretty well funded. I mean, they've got, Series C, I think, like a hundred million, oh, so okay. something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like in the analog world of things, you know. Yeah. This this is ah. well, it, it's evolved from just banks, right? So banks yeah. normally would have to extend a line of credit to you, yeah, a factoring line, and then they'll buy your invoice as long as you have the credit to substantiate it. And then they'll yeah. have buyback provisions and other things that, you know, cost a lot, you know, it costs a lot of money and most gig workers or independent contractor freelancers could never get a line, right? Yeah. They don't have the credit and, to do it. And, and that's where I think with, with blockchain and DeFi, we can get a little more creative here, right? The most basic thing we can do is tokenize an invoice and then use that as a collateral and we can have some Underwriters right. who are okay with taking this kind of a risk to start giving out the loans. That's that's pretty simple, and we can do that today on Lendrite, right? That's right. that's something we can do. But what I'm thinking really with the experiment with the artists and everything, uh, actually we started working on something called a payout contract for the artists. So you know how the artists actually earn royalties on on secondary sales, right? So if you look at that, it's kind of a recurring revenue, and once, once you you have a recurring revenue on something, you can then take it into a smart contract, and and if you can hold that smart contract ownership as an NFT, right? That NFT can be used as a collateral, and and that that was the idea we were going for. So imagine a freelancer. We can, we can do two two things here. One is he could have a payout contract into which he would get the future payment into, right? And then he can tokenize the whole smart contract that he's going to get the payment, and then we can use that token, the NFT, as the collateral for a loan. That's, that's one thing that's possible. The yeah, other the, thing the, the, it's ask, really smart. Yeah, and the other thing is also we can go a little more crazy in, in terms of the reputation and everything. 
and I think personal tokens, which are getting a little little famous today, uh, we can also consider that. Like, for example, imagine that from an angle of an artist, right? So there's an artist, and he could launch a personal token. So it's it's more like not invoice buying, but like having uh, some kind of a reputation, you, but you, that reputation sort of, is backed by his own currency. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, that that seems like on the on the uh, the adoption curve of things, it might be a little bit into yeah. the future. But yeah, yeah. it's interesting. So um, just to give some context to this for our listeners, I think it's important to kind of under under underpin a little bit of this conversation with the problem. And I think mm-hmm. the problem that we're talking about here, and make sure that I get this right, is in the world of lending, as I illustrated earlier, banks are just very difficult to deal with. They're very expensive, and and the rules and underwriting guidelines for independent contractors just don't really apply. So, yeah. um, in the world of sort of a disintermediation and self sovereignty, the idea is: well, how do we how do we get liquidity into the hands of freelancers? Because here's yeah. really the crux of the problem: the reason why these banks are lending and making a killing. And the reason why gig, uh, what did you call it, Gigland or you know, what was the uh, company that was there was the the company that was in your Y Combinator cohort, the one that you mentioned oh, earlier, Kickpay, 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 yeah, Kickpay. So yeah. Um, yeah, my apologies for butchering that, but um, okay. these exist because the problem is really when you're an independent contractor, you're a business in the eyes of the company, mm-hmm. not an employee. Because employees get paid on a different timeline than businesses do, right? So I have to wait 30, 60, 90 days to get paid. So I've got a cash flow problem. Yeah. So I, I need to pay my rent or pay my employees, right? So I'm waiting on getting this money from my customer, which is really the legitimate designation of these people. And I've got to wait to get that money and I'm just not getting it on time. And, and even if my terms are 45 days, they're probably paying me in 65 days, right? Yeah, Cause they're, yeah. they're not going to pay me on time. They never do. And, um, or rarely do they. So how do we get liquidity on demand liquidity into the hands of this sort of highly high frequency, high fluidity future of work, right? Because that's really, you know, gig work, independent contracting, you know, people aren't taking full-time jobs. They've got three and four companies they're working for. They've got all this different, you know, this variety of things happening. They can't possibly keep track of all this stuff very yep, easily. Yep. And number two, then, you know, getting, you know, collections and liquidity and all of this stuff is a very difficult process. So it's really about how do we take this emerging technology and create liquidity? That's really what we're doing. Make sense? Correct. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I, good that I, I'm glad uh, that I got it right. So um, let me ask another question then. Um, In terms of, um, you know, making this happen, how, you know, what do you think user experience needs to look like in order for this to go mainstream? Because right now, you know, the people using DeFi hmm, hmm. aren't your next door neighbor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a, it's a very niche and uh, yeah, that's correct. Like DeFi, e, like even if the UI is easy, I don't think understanding what yield farming is, is going to be easy, right? Yeah, like, no. That's, that's the thing, like the hey, did you Did you get your yam though? Did you get your yam? 
Uh, I, I skipped on that. <laughs> I, I did too. I, it went to zero, I saw. So anyway, yeah. the experiments, so, the experiments. I skipped that experiment. experiment. <laughs> so uh, with, with the whole whole idea of DeFi, like the, the good good part about uh, what, what you are bringing onto the table is, is that it, this is something that people understand, right? Like, and, and one of the most important things, even before we talk about the user experience, I think is that we, we should talk about how, uh, like, if we want a liquid system in this case, we need to make sure that even if it's a delayed payment or something, uh, there is, there is con- like, it, it can be confirmed that the payment will be made, right? And that will, that will be very helpful for a lender to have that trust so that he, he can make sure that uh, he gets back his money. That's, that's all that is important if, if we take a loan, right? right? Yeah, of course. So, I would, so how, I how does that? How, how does can talk about a little bit about that too? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really important part here because, look, look, it's a it's a marketplace really that's being created on the rails of, of a decentralized you know protocol, and yeah. the lenders are monumentally important to this, right? So, mm-hmm. phase one is the centralized lenders, right? And I want to talk about crowdsourcing yeah. Yeah. later. So, how how do we? How do we get? How do we make the system trustable? Yeah, such that that can because, happen. Because I think one of one of the angles to look at it is like where the money is flowing from, right? Like if if you look at where the money is flowing from, if it's if it's from the companies uh, that want to hire these freelancers, there there should be a system where either that there is a promise, say for example. Uh, that can be a native staking token or something that the companies have to stake in order to hire a hire a freelance or something, so that if they don't actually uh, repay in the next forty five days, pay the invoice in the next forty five days or within the term, there should be some flashing condition, right? So uh, they that, lose their stake them. or they slash their yeah. stake, and and that goes to the freelancer, and they yeah. still yeah. owe the money, or, or, or to the lender, right? Like whoever. Yeah, yeah, um, it could be. Because if the lender is going to take over the contract of paying the uh, freelancer, then the lender could take up the stake, right? So that that could be something simple we can start with. Because the other other route we have to take is the reputation. Like we have to figure out uh, like what the, these companies are. It's like a DeFi credit score kind of thing. Like how how do you yeah, yeah, yeah. how do you quantify the the the, the trustability? of yeah. an independent contractor's invoice. And it might be different for you than for me, right? Like if I, and maybe it's a consumption reputation as well as a quality mm-hmm. reputation. And like Very much, very much. And I think uh, even if it's a lender, I think they would prefer, or, or I see them preferring specific, uh, to, to work with freelancers who work for specific companies, right? Which they can trust. So overall, if they could, they could see what what the companies are behind the freelancers. It makes it easy for them to start lending out. So, so from the lending perspective, I feel like the underwriters who are who could be lenders too. But uh, even if if we are speaking about a centralized uh, lend, lender to start with, they would probably start with a few companies they want to uh, get get the loans out to, and then maybe we can expand to the other companies. So. I feel like that that be the flow here in terms of scale. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, how how do you um, the slashing idea is really interesting. I guess the the 
you know, do you see the the user adoption problems of like things like staking as an example, require a lender or excuse me, require a consumer of services to put up money that they wouldn't otherwise have to put up. Right. So like if they're just doing business in the regular world, they don't have to put up a stake. Right. What, what's the incentive for them to use a DeFi system? Why would the lenders want to use a decentralized system? Lenders would uh, like uh, with all the information and, and speaking to people around, I've had is that lenders are ready to put money into DeFi, right? Like I don't, I don't see that as a problem. There is a lot of supply from from the lenders. The, the only thing that is stopping them is the trust in the system itself, because yeah. people are always chasing new areas to make money from. And and if it's if it's uh, if it's a risk free uh, way of making money, it will be at least one of the choices that the lenders want will want to take, because today the options will be go to a bank, right? Or, or invest in a share. So it opens up a whole lot of opportunities for the lender. So I think that that would be good. But from the other side where, the, the, how, how do we make the lenders trust the system? That's going to be the harder part, right? And, and um, w- one of the things that we, like we were thinking uh, in these cases where like adding a party like the underwriter where the lender uh, maybe may, may like, you, you know how pools work today in the in the DeFi space, right? Like yeah. the pool, and and it has a it has a specific objective, like it it will lend uh, say die against S or something, right? So it's a pool where the the lenders can just deposit their die into it. So we can do something similar too, where the lenders can just deposit die into a pool, but the pool then decides which companies or which uh, com- uh, freelancers working for which companies are okay to be supported through a loan. So, so almost right? like a so, like a crowdsourced reputation through the pooling system. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's got to be some sort of crowd. There's got to be some sort of reputational system or else I think mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's what I think because, I mean, you're going to have to bootstrap it, of course, but, you know, in the yeah. end, you know, you've got to be able to tell – the difference between a person who's done 10,000 loans yeah, right, and paid them back, 10,000 invoices as an example, and a, a new guy, it's kind of like Etsy, you know, where like there's a bunch yeah. of Etsy scammers that like put up pictures of other people's stuff and they create a yeah. store and they, they like shut these down really quick, but you can tell yeah. who they are. eBay's the same way because they have no ratings, right? Or they have yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. fake looking ratings. And it's like, you can kind of yeah. tell if you're paying attention, like, no, I shouldn't buy that from that person yeah, because they're going to totally scam me. It's, 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 yeah. but we've got to have something a little bit more modern, I think, you know, instead of just a rating system like that, I think consumption yeah. transactional volume is important, but I think using the community at some point to, to mm. like attest to the quality of something, right? Like mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, the, the community reputational system, I think could be very powerful because you'd have to mm-hmm. have a lot of weight to override that, you know, to scam it. You'd have to have a yeah. lot of weight to scam it. And, and we can, we can do it as a market driven uh, practice and stuff uh, making it uh, like a credit bureau, right? Like where it's a centralized database and, and you have reputation for each people instead of that. It could just be market driven where uh, people can get to choose 
uh, who they want to support and and that could scale over time but but the thing is that here the first question before we get into the loan part of this uh, if a freelancer picks up a loan and he does not repay right is the freelancer on on the hook or is the company that was supposed to pay the invoice right that's the simplest question yeah well i i think in the world of of uh, de-risking this um and if you look at the So here's a really interesting nuance. So in the world of um in the legal world of mm. invoicing, if if a company let's say there was a startup who mm. used a bunch of freelancers and didn't pay their invoices. And they went they they filed for bankruptcy, okay? So mm. in the bankruptcy court they're actually going to see that. Now if they have no money, it's a problem, but like mm. if they're going to reorganize or if there's some assets the way that the courts look at it, at freelancer invoices as they look at it like wages okay so there would be okay. the, yeah it's a really interesting kind of nuance now this that's a really bad situation to be in to begin with so there's really underwriting on both sides it would be the service consumer also needs to have some because you know they got moody's and bloomberg ratings for this right like you know they got mm-hmm. uh Dunn's Dunn Dunn and Bradsky your your Dunn score right for like your quality as a, as a as a business right yeah so we'd have to think about that too and we'd have to think about it seems like there's more more enforceability against the corp the company who the invoice was sent to mm-hmm. because the freelancer is sort of at the mercy of them paying right so if they mm-hmm. don't pay yeah. is that the freelancer's fault well maybe if they did a crappy job but if you did something for example with um you know like some sort of like an open law contract and mm-hmm. you had some sort of like attestation from both parties that this is a legitimate invoice so there was a digital mm-hmm. signature from both the freelancer and the company that yeah. maybe was a part of that um nft right that would provide a lot of assurances that it's going to get paid and then yep. if it doesn't get paid it's still a bona fide asset meaning yep. the company would be on the hook i would think not the freelancer yep. the freelancer should be able to even sell that as that asset outright and not have any legal tie to it at all maybe they maybe there's two different options maybe one's a buyback provision mm-hmm. and they take the risk and the other one and maybe you have to do that until you earn a certain amount of reputation like the f- first part where you were talking about the problem of a crappy job by the freelancer right so i feel like that can be uh, that can be taken out of the uh, of the conversation because maybe these invoices get paid or the invoices get uh, uh, initiated for being paid only after the job is done or something right like and, more, and after there's the some time. sort of some sort of verification that uh, it's uh, yeah Yeah. yeah but the delay is still going to be there even after the job is done and and the freelancers are supposed to get the payment that there's still going to be a delay like of of 30 days 60 days oh yeah right? they they i mean they'll, they'll i mean if my terms are 60 days mm-hmm. i mean we we've done this game a long time and and like people pay us 75 80 90 days oh wow wow yeah. okay. oh yeah they wait so forever they and then you got to call them and harass them all the time and oh wow okay so that, i i think that is where if you, if you, when you, when you are talking about open law and stuff like that i think this can be really made uh, uh, we can we can get really creative about this um where 
you, we have a smart contract. A, a, a smart contract is a contract too, right? And yeah. a, a legally speaking. And if, if there is open law attestation and everything on, on that specific invoice, one thing that can happen is there is the company, the freelancer, the underwriter and the lender. So there are four people now, right? So the, the, the company has to pay the freelancer, but uh, he is going to source liquidity from an underwriter and the underwriter is being funded by the lender. Uh, we are doing this because the lender does not want to go behind the freelancer or the company and, and take care of the business. So the underwriter can be a pool where the money goes from the lender just goes into the pool and the pool just funds the freelancer, right? And if there is an issue, the underwriter could, could, could take all these invoices that were not paid by the company and because they, they, they become a business in the middle on the blockchain, they are a layer, but they are on the blockchain, but they get all these tokenized contracts which they can then go even if they, if necessary, legally claim uh, payments for those invoices some yeah, they could, they could, they could, they could, they could execute their own collections efforts, right? So if if they yeah, could yeah. essentially just cut the freelancer out and say, yeah. you owe us now. Yeah, exactly. So if if we do that, and and usually that's how uh, traditional invoice paying also works, because if they uh, if there is a vendor to Walmart and Walmart has a net sixty, and that and the, and the vendor is going to take a loan on the invoice. If the invoice is not being paid, the vendor is not going to be questioned. It's going to be Walmart because the right. invoice was bought, right? So I yeah. think that's exactly what we are doing here also, where I think we are buying the invoices of the freelancer for a face value, right? And so he gets his payment immediately, but the underwriter now can take over the invoices. And because he's a, he, he uh, how do I say, because he accrues that skill of managing these invoices, legally speaking, and, and, and arranging for collections if necessary, that could become a very nice layer in the infrastructure over time. And there could be competition, many companies coming in too. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so how does, uh, so we talk about centralized lenders. So phase one would be, you know, even traditional lenders, right? Like banks could yeah. even get involved in this, right? Like there's a lot of capital, like you said, out there wanting to lend. You know, the pure democratization of this, however, would be some variation of crowd funding. Now, when you add the underwriter to this, or, or just, you know, letting anybody, you know, participate in a lending pool, right? But like, when you add an underwriter to this, they're the, they're sort of the professionalized, right? Like they're the ones looking at this deciding on risk and whether or not it makes sense. But would, would that be the same cadence then for just any old person who wants to lend their, you know, what would be Ethereum or die into a pool and then it could turn into USD later, but like it essentially anybody could participate in this. Would you think? I think uh, that kind of an experiment again is, is very interesting because now, when I speak about the underwriter here, this is not the same underwriter that we see in the traditional world, right? Anyone uh, in this world who can, who can figure out his own set of uh, um, like tools to manage this risk properly, he is going to do well over time. So lenders here are, in, are betting on the underwriter to work properly, but they have an option to go to a different underwriter. So instead of having one pool, which is underwriting all the loans 
uh, of, a, of freelancers. That could be three, four people uh, who are comp- competing for this. And that way, the lenders can just find the best historical track record of an underwriter instead of understanding what the freelancer is doing and the company is doing. Because those things can be one-off also, right? And that's a lot of information for a lender to process in order to make a loan. So I, I feel like having a kind of a, um, uh, introducing an additional player here will be very good for, for, for the uh, game we are trying to create here. Yeah, it seems like it. Now, how, does this, under, how does this underwriter... I guess the underwriter has incentives to do a good job and create good returns mm. and to have trustability yeah. because then that they're going to have their own reputation. Exactly. So almost like, like a hedge fund manager, but just in a DeFi sense, right? Like, so somebody yeah. who's demonstrating returns. Uh, uh, so, uh, the simplest thing would be where, that the lenders or, or, or the uh, uh, investors in the underwriter pool here just put in, say, die or something, right? And the, and the pool can return them pool tokens. So it could be, say, just called ABC. So they get ABC tokens back. And if the pool performs well, the ABC tokens would be worth more. If it does not, they're going to lose money. And the lenders have to understand that they are, they are taking that risk. And, and that's how they're getting into the uh, lending space here. That's interesting. A, but I, I, I find it interesting. Well, try this on then for a second. What if I, so let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a part of the Opolis Employment Commons. Okay. So I'm a member and, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm paying myself consistently, you know, let's say hundred K a year. Um, and that's my, my base salary that my comp- corporation's paying me. Right. So I'm self-sovereignly employed, but then I decide that I want to take 20% of my wages and I actually want to invest it in an underwriting pool. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people think about 401ks and IRAs and all this kind of stuff, but like, you know, DeFi really does unlock the potential to have these things at your fingertips, right? So like in my yeah, dashboard yeah. at Opolis, how do you think that would go down? Do you think, the, do you think that, uh, that there's demand for that? You said that there's no problem with supply, but what's your sense on individuals wanting to participate in a product like this? Um, I... I think people are uh, in that mind space right now where they will go for any experiment, right? Like it's okay in the sense that people understand that there's a innate risk here and it's it's not the mainstream people who are directly participating. Yeah, this is early adopters. This is like... Early adopters, right? Early, early, early And they understand that it's really... That's the the interesting part. We don't don't get these uh, time frames for a very long time. Like usually the window is very short because someone is going to get really hurt and, and they're going to call the police, right? Like that's going to happen. And then <laughs> all these experiments have to stop. But then until that's happening, I think we, like there are a lot of things we can, we can do things like this, uh, which, which would be completely new from, from how things have been done in the traditional space. Because what we are trying to attack here by, by, by talking about the cost and everything of a loan is that we are, we are trying to democratize who can run an underwriter pool, right? Yeah. So instead of the, it being just a bank, we can allow a talent, like it, 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 is, it is bringing the quant outside of the hedge fund, uh, hedge fund, quant outside of the investment bank and asking them to sit and, and make their own pools that they can manage and, and they could be really good at it. Imagine tomorrow there's a, there, there could be a guy on Twitter uh, uh, who's a quant, who's uh, he, he's really good at it and he runs a DeFi pool. Right, 
And that kind of a future uh, need not be too far uh, far from here. And he could have his own token uh, for the pool too. Yeah, it's, it's really just decentralizing the need for the formal hedge fund, and it's just going directly mm-hmm. to the to the to the manager people, the quants, as you said, yeah. to be able yeah. to just do it on their own in a much more high frequency, fluid way. Mm-hmm. What do you see this? Uh, so obviously, there's always a cost to these systems. I mean, how does the freelancer pay for this service to get their money? Um, Are they paying uh, a discount uh, like they would in a normal like situation? Is that what they're going to do? So, uh, like in DeFi, this has been my criticism of, about DeFi for a while now, where we, there is only one number called the interest rate, right? And and that'll be a 10% or a 12% APR. Uh, that does not make sense because you, you could get a US dollar loan for, for 2% in the US, right? So, the, the delta there, like the 8% uh, that, that is Going into the funding of a, of a loan is usually the risk of the of the whole loan, right? So if we talk about the freelancer and the whole system here, I think it will it will be a model where yeah, it will be a discounted cash flow where if if there is a three thousand dollar invoice, probably he gets say two thousand five hundred. I'm not sure that could be market driven. That's what I'm trying to say. Like that yeah. discount. If it's only one person, he will start saying, "Oh, I need a thousand dollars, a thousand dollar cut out of that." But if you have more than one person, that would tend to feel like what's what's the actual risk of of the of the employer not paying the freelancer? That will be the cost of of the discount that we would be asking the freelance uh, to take. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I think the the notion of having a, a, a an open market for this is really important because it seems like. Mm-hmm. If you didn't, you would have a lot of that. You'd have loan sharking, really, yep. is what you'd have. Yep, exactly. exactly. Then it would be replicating, if not accentuating, <laughs> a lot of the existing problems. Yeah. So that's yep. that's really interesting. Um, really fascinating stuff. So how quickly do you think uh, you know this is going to be available? In in uh, how did how well? Let me ask this a better way. How quickly do you think we can make this available? to um, people in our, you know, Opolis employment commons? Do you think we can, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. So like, um, do you think this is something that will be, that could, we could put out this year? Or do you think this is something that we could talk about for early next year? Or do you think that the market needs to mature for another year? Or what do you think? Uh, from, from the perspective, like how we are running experiments inside Lendride is that we are trying to push, uh, like we, we uh, at Lendra, we are really trying to create a DeFi protocol and not a centralized company, right? Like we are also right. trying to build all these parts together so that uh, the protocol will be totally, completely decentralized and, and not uh, require someone to intervene. So from that angle, uh, if we, the protocol to support something like this, I think it'd be uh, next year, say Q2, right? Yeah protocol fully supporting this and, and it's just a natural flow, something like that. But um, I think we can start experimenting uh, like this year because even with the NFT space and the art, uh, artists we were working with, we are already doing these things. We are already doing paired contracts. Uh, we are giving them NFTs, right? Like there are now artists who are, who are making their, like, you, you know, there are people who are renting out their uh, metaverse parcels and uh, for, for to a billboard company, right? And the billboard company is giving it out to an ad- advertiser 
and all this money is being split and this is all happening on a smart contract today right so it is possible uh, to take this contract <laughs> right uh, I, i would actually send you like we are, we are um, i don't want to spoil it, but we we're making an ad uh, for to rent out the space in the metaverse right so we're working with that artist <laughs> because i thought it was very interesting what we're doing and because people don't know about it outside the world i thought and the hack will no. be like it 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 it, will, it it is blowing my mind so we could we could do some an experiment like that where we can take a few freelancers right and and probably a couple of employers and and see how these contracts can go through like create probably a, a nft for them uh pause it on see how they feel about it right and then probably uh, uh, do a couple of marketing articles just to figure out how the process is right and then you uh, you get the hang of it and maybe in the, by the next year we, it'll be part of the protocol so yeah we we would sort of do a pilot test with it but yeah so mm-hmm. just so you know we're 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 about ready to like jump into this so like we i know we've been talking right. about it for some time but that it's yeah uh we're we're ready to do it so um a oh, couple more questions here what what other things do you think are you know defi right now is like i said digital assets you know let's say we get into you know things like invoices and payrolls but like what about what's next do you, i mean do you see things like homes happening in crowdsourcing like car mm-hmm. loans do you see things like that or do you just see you know running out your digital billboard and metaverse and and <laughs> Like, where, where do you think this is going to go? See, like, uh, it, this is a very uh, uh, a question that divides people, right? So, oh yeah, I, I know. Feel, I <laughs> I feel like like I'm I'm a person who who uh, who, who uh, believes that the digital assets that we own are going to be more valuable than and the real assets we're going to own because everything is imaginary, anyways, right? So. so digital assets are going to be really powerful so from that context i have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of work that that's going to go towards digital assets um mm. like people who, who, like for example last, I, i i read a stat that said the 2 billion people are indirectly benefiting from the gaming industry today i i had like those kind of statistics are are kind of already happening in the sense that there is this economy that that there somewhere like the gaming economy is bigger than the hollywood industry right and and things like that where it's already there as pocket so blockchain is just going to bring all of them together so if that's going to happen the, the money involved in all of these areas is going to be huge so my take on that would be like there's going to be a lot of these glasses and if if it's just going to be investment or something we we will find so many options here but again we have to eat Uh, we have to drive somewhere we have to live somewhere yeah yeah like, we do that's not going to change <laughs> that's not going to change so probably there'll be people uh, who would want those things also to be tokenized but the harder part is now then it it's about the jurisdiction and and how friendly the government and how if they want to do it right that, because once you go to get in the you you're talking about the house it's in the government's registry it's not in the blockchain right so that becomes a public partnership with with, with the government so yeah you got to get tied titles and everything you, you know yeah you're going to have to oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then but the the lending there's yeah. so much regulation around that stuff that like it, yeah, it seems yeah, like yeah. that'd be a pretty hard nut to crack but mm-hmm. i i think it 
maybe not on the first wave of things, but I think I think that stuff's gonna the the core infrastructure lending stuff like homes and cars. I think those things are gonna are gonna get crowdsourced and and have more of a yeah. democratized market around them. But what yeah. do you think? What do you think that the 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 key digital assets are gonna be then? Do you think it's art? Do you think what do you think the uh, digital assets that people are gonna want are? I mean, you're talking about digital real estate in a metaverse or in yeah, yeah. you know places like that like decentral land right like do you think those are it or what, what do you think or are those just sort of like the early sort of idea gen sort of like things that have popped up but now the next wave of really cool stuff's going to come like what's that i'm sure the next wave of cool stuff is anyways going to come right but in a in a weird way like all all that's happening in the nft space and and if you look at all these decentral land and uh, crypto voxels, uh, for example, these worlds are all weirdly uh, low risk, and and they they are technically not like not even a they they're like playing on a Pentium one machine, right? Like that's that's the that's the kind of graphics they might have everything. But right. I think they have their own charm. So it's like even even if the world has New York and and maybe Singapore today, people still go to go back to Greece and. And look at the old, the old, really, really old buildings, right? So something that sort of a dynamic might start happening because we've we've created this whole digital space for a while now, but now we are putting something visual to it, right? So that visual extent and and we are able to experience it and and be there. Like we've started conducting meetups in crypto walks, even for our community, we're going to start doing that where uh, like there could be forty people. In the same arena, in a crypt, in a crypto voxel parcel, right? And we are just hanging out. So that becomes more emotional, uh, and then and, and and it has this nostalgic feeling already. So I think those assets will be very valuable in the future, even if if they are going to look the same forever, right? Like Minecrafted or something. So yeah, I have this feeling that art is interesting. Uh, if if you you have a case for it, and and if you want to be a collector, you have to have your own uh, why of why you're collecting this art, and and you you are part of that art, right? So that's a lot of responsibility. So if you look at other digital assets, I would say like um, all these metaverse related stuff that's just coming up, they are really interesting, really interesting. No, it is interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see how it, it and how the economics work in these things because that's really what yeah. what this boils down to is is really what what are the kind of fluid economics of these new emerging metaverses and experiences yeah. that we're creating that are in demand, right? And and how you yeah. create scarcity and how you create you know the collectability and how you create yeah. sort of yeah all of those different components are very interesting. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see how that pops up. But thank you for sharing all of that. Um, so, Vignesh, we're going to take questions from the the audience if we if we have any. So, uh, if you remember those that are watching Q and A section on the webinar function here on Zoom, go ahead and dump your questions in for Vignesh or for myself or whoever. Uh, feel free to dump those in while we're seeing if we have any questions. Um, have you been doing any traveling? Have you <laughs> probably not much? <laughs> no, it, this this, I, this this room is uh, on top of my uh, like my bedroom is just downstairs, 
So I just made this room up so that I can I can have this feeling of coming coming up to work every day. So yeah, <laughs> this is where I work, and uh, yeah, this is where I live. I started growing plants, and yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny how we 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 want to compartmentalize ourselves from work and life, right? So, like having <laughs> exactly. a special space for work is really important, even though yeah. functionally I can do it from my bed, even if I wanted to, but I don't really want to, right? It's like a choice that I make, and I don't really want to do that. So, any any parting words that you've got for us on just the thoughts around DeFi or in, you know thoughts around Opolis or anything else? Sure, sure. So for, for the the things I'm talking about here about, about the artists and and uh, all these uh, new areas that are working out, right? I think Opolis, we as a, as a pilot project, where I'm sure that you are already onboarding freelancers from the traditional yeah. space. But I think it'll be very interesting to onboard some of these companies. For example, Lendroid. Lendroid pays freelancers already, right? So yeah. we are a company. We are playing freelancers. It'll be interesting to to Opolis. So that, you know, like, even when it comes to, uh, 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 like, lending and, and underwriting alone, we would probably trust uh, another company in the crypto space more than something outside now, and it will be a good experiment, right? So maybe we can, we can open a few companies that are already paying their freelancers and are in the crypto space. And, and once we can get started, like, underwriting those loans, I think it will be a very interesting starting point to... to uh, get the experiment done. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, we've we've been talking with a few companies about doing that, um, and so I think um, I think the plan is to sort of educate these companies on how to organize themselves in a compliant way that allows mm-hmm. them to consume services from self sovereign workers, right? So instead of the knee jerk being, well, I'm just gonna you know, make you my employee, or I'm just going to 1099 you and not deal with it. Like what's, what's the better way? What's the more professionalized way to both protect the the best interest of the individual, but also make it much more fluid for the companies who are consuming these services to access this talent on demand. Right. And to make it much more high frequency and much easier to deal with. So I think, I think we're, we're talking the same thing, but yeah, it's, you know, when we talk to companies, a lot of companies are very knee-jerk around, well, there are employees yeah. on the one hand. On the other hand, they're like, well, you know, we're just 1099-ing them. But then, like, compliance comes in, and it's like, well, should they be employees? Should they, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's there's all this, that, yeah, but but Opolis basically solves that problem. So, like, yeah, we, we can certainly unpack that, too. Um, sure. Would love to do it. So, uh, we do have a question here from Joshua Trimmel. Wants your opinion or our opinion on who are the top players in DeFi to follow. So if there's going to be projects to follow, aside from Opolis and Lendroid, who yep. else should they be following? Uh, I, I find Alex uh, Matt right? Like, uh, he, uh, you know him, right? Like, he launched his own personal token, uh, Alex. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's doing some some interesting stuff uh, in the space. And, and I, he was at Denver too. Uh, that is where uh, his conversation started. So I, I found him very interesting. I, I'm sure that he's going to do something very interesting. He's not started working on his own uh, like company yet, but I think he's a very interesting person to follow. Um, his uh, name is Alex, and uh, his last name is M-A-S-M-E-J. So he's, 
he's one interesting dude. Uh, I, I actually uh, invested some money in, in his personal token. Uh, no, he was working with, what, isn't he with Orchid? Who is he with? Sure. No, no, yeah, no. I don't remember. No, no, no. different guy. Yeah. They, they were all part of the Meta Cartel, right? So yeah. I think Meta Cartel is a great place to start if you want to follow like the space right now because a lot of these companies actually one. come out of the uh, clan, which is Meta Cartel. And, and there are like these young uh, uh, individuals who, who are doing a lot of experiments as, as we are seeing today. And uh, all these companies are coming out of that cohort. So I, I find it interesting. Uh, but, but again, one thing that's really hard as the question points out is it's hard to find out what, how, how do I trust the project or not. So I would really be like, okay, like, uh, you have to do your own research. Whatever happens, I think that's, that's the uh, uh, disclaimer in everything, right? Like right now in DeFi. Yeah, you've, yeah, you've got to do, you've got to be your own fact checker. I mean, the, the yeah, there's a, there's a lot of inherent risk. And I think, I think that's yeah. the thing that people have to be willing to, to tolerate is, is a hundred percent total catastrophic loss. You know, it could, oh, yeah. there, there could be another hack over a weekend and you could lose everything. I mean, it could be yeah. easy as that. Anybody else come come to mind? So MetaCartel is mm-hmm. a great one. I mean, um, the the guys that are a part of the MetaCartel, uh, I mean, the the whole the whole sort of amorphous entity that that is, you know, yeah, is yeah. is it got a lot of bright minds in that. So yeah, yeah. for sure, I I feel like that's the European side of the Ethereum community, right? Like. They yeah. have a different uh, vibe to them, and uh, yeah, I I find them really interesting too. Um, and and there are also aggregators like uh, uh, I like One Inch, which is which is a uh, they, they are interesting reliers. They they came out with the Chi token, uh, which 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 is a gas token basically. So they do a good job. Uh, these are all edge uh, uh, DeFi players, and and not the core protocol itself. So. I find these infrastructure companies more uh, uh, long-lasting, actually. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, are there any any words of caution or specific things to avoid that you would suggest to our, our our listeners? Like, is there anything in particular about DeFi right now that's that's sort of overly concerning you? Uh, that that is going to be this whole uh, area of uh, these, because now we've unlocked this idea of an experiment, right? Like Barry can tweet and say that we didn't deploy the code. So that's going to happen. And uh, we are going to have a bunch of tokens now. And and if there's a there's going to be a ride, uh, like a like bull ride on Ethereum or something, there'll be hundreds of these tokens which, which might not really make sense. There could be clones and everything. So it's just important to like so for example, these communities are usually on Discord or or, or probably Telegram or somewhere. Uh, I think it's very important to be part of the community if you, if you want to put money into something and 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 not just take a look at a, a how do you say like an aggregator and be like okay I, I'm going to diversify my investment kind of a thing. Like it's 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 nice to be part of communities instead of actually like just putting your money in ten places. So that's that's one of the things I have because even if you lose some money, you will be like you'll go up and down with the community, and and that's a better right in this industry compared to like just taking a bet uh, in the dark, and all the ten projects could fail too. So 
that's the word of caution. Yeah. So don't certainly don't put all of your money in into <laughs> DeFi experiments. I think that would be a bad strategy. But um, in any case, well, thank you, Vignesh, for your time and your wisdom and your insights and your just enthusiasm for the space. It's always a super fun time to have conversation and to just get together and see what's new. So uh, we're definitely, once this pandemic craziness is over, we're going to have to plan a reunion somewhere and we're going to have to make sure that a bottle of tequila is involved because that was a, that was a pretty good time. Uh, we, we didn't do, we didn't do anything illicit. It was just a good time and good tequila and good friends. So we appreciate you. Um, I just wanted to say hello to Anand who is on, uh, is on with us from your team. And he's yeah. been kind of listening in and uh, yeah, just thank you to your, for your support. And we look forward to building some cool things here in the near future. So thank you for everyone for joining this episode of Opolis Public Radio. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, for more videos just like this and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts if you prefer just the audio version. If you're a freelancer, gig worker, independent contractor, solopreneur, looking for an employment solution to become self-sovereign and a self-sovereign worker, make sure you join the Opolis Employment Commons today at, at opolis.co. That's O-P-O-L-I-S dot C-O. And until then, we'll see everybody uh, next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you liked the episode. If you did, please leave us a rating or review, and don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.